Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Barr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. We have a great episode today. We talk to improviser and therapist Amy Rowe. But first, it's the holiday season. And in our free weekly newsletter, we share tips and information that pertains to whatever is going on in the world. And since this is a time period that can be filled with a lot of anxiety, we have been sharing tips and articles and pieces for how to get through. So, for instance, in yesterday's newsletter, it goes out on Mondays, we shared how to take unsolicited advice from family. You know you're going to get a lot of that around the holiday dinner table this year. So, because you're going to be spending some extra time with family who maybe don't appreciate your boundaries, that could be really stressful. A lot of people are dealing with that. Not everyone who's spending time with their families, lucky for them. But if you are, you're going to want to get tips like this from our newsletter. So subscribe to our newsletter. Let us provide some articles and pieces on things that tend to be trying for creatives this time of year. It's a comedy-focused newsletter. We try to put tips like this throughout the year, but we'll probably do a little extra because, hey, seasonal depression, it's all going on right now. So be sure to check out our newsletter and let us provide you with some info on mental health. Speaking of, as I mentioned, today's guest, Amy, is a bona fide psychotherapist She is also an improviser. We talk about how she got into both and the many parallels between the two. Here's my chat with Amy Rowe. There's a ton I want to talk to you about. And number one, congrats on being back at the Magnet on a house team. Yeah, yeah. You're a veteran at the Magnet. Yeah. It was 2010, 2012 that you started at Magnet? I first got on a megawatt team in 2010. Yeah. 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 I but mean, I think, goodness. Yeah. A long some time ago. <laughs> it's some teams that I've heard about. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But, there, you know, there's some big name teams, I'll say, that um, you were on a couple of big ones. But you also, of course, do therapy. And I'm very excited to talk to you about that as well because of how you have integrated improv into it. So let's yeah. go back to the beginning. You're from sure. New York. Yes. Uh, you were New York City, not even like upstate New York, right? Like you you were in Queens? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Queens and I lived in Queens until I was sixth grade-ish, like 12, 11, yeah. 12, like thereabouts. Mm-hmm. But I lived in Maspeth. So like if folks live in Brooklyn or whatever, like often if a FedEx delivery doesn't that's how people usually tell me they know what Maspeth is. That's where I've seen it. <laughs> They're like, oh, man, I've gone there to retrieve a package. And I was like, that's where I grew up and like where my parents lived their whole lives. And my mm-hmm. grandparents actually like lived in Maspeth. Yeah, and that then, is the uh, connection when I'm doing a FedEx tracking and I'm like, where yeah. is it? Oh, it's in Maspeth. Oh, 
Yeah. All great things come through MassFit, man. I mean, hey, if, yeah. if you choose FedEx to move your great products, they come through MassFit. <laughs> They're the right ones to choose. Yeah. And then you went yeah. to the suburbs of Long Island for several years. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so that was college. like middle school and high school years. Yeah. I was in Nassau County and mm -hmm. still very like, I think the spirit in which I was, we moved to the suburbs, like I was sixth grade. So like, being a city kid had kind of like left its mark more on me. And I was like very keen to like get back into the city. I yeah. was like riding the train into the city. I convinced my parents to let me take a class at NYU when I was like the summer in between. It was like, like junior and senior year of college. I just like was much more about that pacing. I think I wanted to be, I don't know. Like I would see people in the village and be like, that's who I wish oh. those are more my people than like, oh, you know, you move cool. out to the suburbs and kids are like playing lacrosse. And I'm like, I don't get what that's all about. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's who I was. Artistic people and uh, yes. cool, unique people of the village. Those are your people. Yes. You kind of answered a question I had. So you went to college in Pennsylvania and then you stayed mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. You went to in Philadelphia. You were there for yep. several years. Mm -hmm. And that's where you professionally got started. It's also, I guess you started the Philadelphia Improv Theater. I started off there. Yeah, like really, it, it, it was called the Philly Improv Theater. I think they're still around and doing stuff. And I took my, I did all my, my first improv classes there and performed at that theater, which is like a tiny little theater. And uh, from there. you started DuoFest? Yes. Yeah. Which is a big deal. I mean, you, you co-created yeah. and produced that. And I think, there did it end in 2018? It kind of changed. Yeah. It's, so I stepped away from like the leadership and like being a person who kind of decided and like curated about that. I don't know if it was like 2015 or 2016, something like that. And then it like exchanged hands and I'm not 100% sure how it kind of like fizzled out from there but it was like it was a magical improv festival i'm like yeah yeah you, know, you I, called I remember me a, hearing about it yeah Beautiful fest yeah you, people talk about it what's magical about it and i don't know you and i don't know each other super well but like if no, you've ever been yeah. do you go to improv festivals yeah there was my old yeah. theater in south carolina oh new south comedy festival i helped co-produce that a couple of oh, years cool. and uh, was a part of it and since I was in the Carolinas, there was NCCAF and the yeah, Charleston yeah. Comedy Festival, but I've also been to IFCINCI and cool. Sixth Borough Festival. So yeah, I love festivals. Cool. They're fun. Yeah. This is like, I also love a festival. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, what my favorite part about Duo Fest is because everybody who's coming is a duo. Mm -hmm. It seemed to compel people. Like everybody had the optimal number of like support people. You know what I mean? Like everybody had a buddy. <laughs> right. But that like allowed everybody to venture out like into after parties and like in the audience and like branch out and really like make connections. And you saw people like getting together and going to the museums and going to restaurants oh, who cool. were like on other sides of the country. And it was there was like a high level of like friendship uh, that would happen. And that was my favorite part of doing Duo Fest. Oh, that's super sweet and cool. Yeah. Yeah. I wish Improv I could have camaraderie. Yeah. I, Maybe you know, someday you will. Maybe it'll come back around. I don't know. I hope so. It seems like, sounds like something that should exist and be going mm -hmm. on. 
So the question that you actually answered for me was in your commuting from Pennsylvania yeah. to, <laughs> into the city, that explains how you got cast on a team in 2010 at the Magnet while you yep. were still technically in Philadelphia for a yeah. couple more years. So that's a lot of trap. So you were you were coming up yeah. here, taking classes while you were yeah. living in Pennsylvania. That was very roots of you because <laughs> I believe for the for a while the roots were still living in Philadelphia yeah. and just commuting to late night with Jimmy Fallon for yeah, the first few years roots. of that show yeah I wonder if we ever were like on the same Amtrak or Bolt bus I'm sure the roots were not on the Bolt bus but <laughs> I think like, they had their own bus <laughs> yeah, they were traveling yeah. Their own. <laughs> maybe we were in parallel or something <laughs> yeah I did very Philly thing to do <laughs> You know what I think that did? And I think, I think, so my, that first team, that first megawatt team I was on, Brick, I went mm -hmm. for two years, I was like coming up and back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they could speak to this. And I'm like friends with many of those people. But I also feel like me coming from that far, like if other people were running late or like, I feel like I didn't uh, give yeah. anybody any slack for not coming to a <laughs> rehearsal or a show on time because I was making this like substantial journey each time. To yeah, do I mean, they can't be like, week. well, the trains. It's like, yeah, I came from yeah. Philly on a bus yeah. <laughs> or yeah. train. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, it's funny because when I my first really favorite job that I had was in a city over from where I lived because I was still living at my mom's out of college. And I had to get up. I had to, my shift started at 6 a.m. And mm -hmm. that means I had to get up at like 4.30 and leave. And, and I would always be 15 minutes early, maybe 10. But I was always like, you know, Johnny on the spot. Then I moved. Well, Johnny down. early. You were Johnny <laughs> yeah. early. Yeah. <laughs> and I moved down the street from that place and it yeah. was always a struggle when i moved down the street to get there on time <laughs> yeah always hard oh i got plenty of time i got plenty of oh i have to be there a minute ago so yep no i relate to that because you know <laughs> you have time whereas if you're from a distance you're like okay i gotta get on that like you know 501 megabus because if i don't get the 501 megabus then I have to be on the 536 megabus. And then what? You know, like you, <laughs> right. you pad in all this extra time when you've got these distances. Yeah, that's what I do now. But still, I, I generally am on time. But sometimes, boy. Oh, yeah. Boy, howdy. So you were coming in and taking all these classes and, and then yep. you got cast on a team and you start yeah. Uh, doing a bunch of rehearsals and doing the Wednesday shows, weekly shows. It's a lot of travel for yep. you a couple of days a week while you are also studying to do therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I that was. And I. A lot. How were you doing it? <laughs> now that I look back on it, it is kind of a lot. I was. It was a lot of moving pieces mm -hmm. for sure. But I also just was so enlivened by things and yeah. like genuine genuinely interested and also like in my 20s so maybe <laughs> all of those things conspired to give me more energy than I like by rights should have had you know um, that's a good point <laughs> just because I know how busy I was in college uh -huh. <laughs> doing things yeah. constantly and now I'm sort of like 
oh, I should dial it back. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not even doing half as much as I was doing in college. Yeah, but there's not really so much an urge to dial it back, like when you're 25 or so, which I guess right. is, I think I was 26 when I got on Megawatt. Yeah. So 2010. And you're kind of like, I mean, there was nothing more exciting to me, you know, and I felt like I was. It was fun to like get on a bus and do a show in New York City and then come back and live this life where I'm like studying something that's interesting to me. And like it kind of just was checking a lot of boxes. So that's how it worked. It wouldn't have worked if it wasn't, you know? Yeah. So how did you get into both of these things? What what sparked you about improv and then also what sparked you about therapy? Yeah, I think I never... I didn't go to grad school, so I have a master's in social work, and I didn't pursue that thinking, oh, I'm going to be a therapist. I thought I was going to go into, like, social service, like, administration or, like, nonprofit leadership or something like that. But then I got this internship while I was, while I was like, in grad school. You have to do these, like, practicums doing therapy with kids, and it was kind of like my internal response to it was just akin to like when I first did improv, there was like a spark of recognition within me that was like, oh, this is the thing that I want to do. You know, like I, I sometimes experience these strong, like flashes of light from within that are like, oh, this is what I like. And this is important to me. And this is what I shall do. And here I am like 12 years later, like still doing it. But I just loved sitting and connecting with someone so intensely Mm. I think that's perhaps part of what like improv and like therapy have in common yeah I was gonna say that like the connection and the listening are probably the two big and and having seen you perform you you definitely dive in and 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 connect (laughs) yeah yeah thank you I try to try to be like emotionally invested yeah I, I I speak in like the language of emotions, you know, <laughs> like I and I think what appeals to me to both of those spaces is like there's an implicit understanding of like we're here to connect and create something together. Mm-hmm. And like, thank God it's a time limited thing because like that <laughs> degree of intensity is like not sustainable. But like mm-hmm. for the next 30 minutes, all I'm going to do is be here for you. And uh, like, yeah try to make something with you and you and I are going to push up against one another and we're going to like really be in it together. And then like, thank God we will be able to like, just go be normal people who scroll on their phones afterwards because like (laughs) who can be that intense? You can't be at a 10 all times, you know? Right. You apply that to improv because there's short scenes and you can be at a 10 for short scenes. So how do you dial it appropriately with therapy? Because you, what you said, everything you said could really be applied to both, <laughs> mm-hmm. both a therapy session and also being there for somebody in an improv scene. It's a lot of the same task, right? Listening, support, yeah. dive in, yeah. have their back. But obviously you can't be on a 10 in a therapy session because the other person's talking. You have to be on a 10 at listening, I assume, but yeah, you, know, you can't be as emotionally invested as a 10 sure, before yeah, an yeah. hour session, right? Yep. So here's the thing that I'm like is a little bit of a fine tune, like that I would say actually applies to improv as well. Mm-hmm. When you're a therapist, and especially like the way that I practice therapy, 
I would say it's presence that has to be at a 10. Mm-hmm. And I also mm-hmm. assume some responsibility for paying attention moment to moment to like the equilibrium. Mm-hmm. How 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 are they doing? How is this person who sits before me doing right now? How anxious or activated are they? Are they underactivated such that they're not really like engaged in the process? And then how do I make use of myself to keep us like essentially in this optimal zone? When you're in therapy, you don't want to be like totally relaxed and totally comfortable like you as the, the patient. Like mm-hmm. you want to be a little challenged and a little anxious, but you also don't want to be so anxious mm. that you can't think. Right. Or or it's so this... challenged that you shut down. Yes. Right. And you have to pay attention to this emotional temperature and weather mm. that's going on. And then how can I be? That can help keep us like on track and moving like along in this like river, you know, keep things flowing and keep us moving towards like wherever it is that you actually want to be, you know? Wow. You know, there is there's. You can there's so many things you could say that really apply to both. I didn't realize that when we first started talking about this. Oh, the parallels run deep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you are using your your body, your energy, your tone, your words. And when I've been in good therapy, not only were they intently listening, but they could also frame, accurately frame what I just said. Yeah. yeah. In a better way than I said it even. And in an improv scene, that's actually really useful to be able Mm -hmm. to frame what other people are doing. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many parallels. I mean, because they're both essentially creative processes Uh and they're Uh co-creations, you know, and what it is, is it's like construction of meaning between two minds, like meeting in the middle. And if it's not doing that, then like the therapies maybe not like going so well. And if it's not doing that, like the improv is not going so well, like it's. Yeah, I could go on and on and on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Is it hard to turn off? Because when you're in an improv scene, you're listening and you're thinking of what's the funny thing I can do Mm -hmm. in relation to what's being said right now. Is it hard to sort of turn off the creative brain when you're in a therapy Mm -hmm. session? You know, obviously, you're not going to start making jokes and cracking jokes with your patient. But, you know, it's still just like stuff that happens in your brain, just fire, firing yeah. off from triggers. So yeah. is it tough to shut that down in a therapy session? Here's what I would say to that. Less that it's a shutting down and more that it's like a being clear within my own head about what my goal is and what my aim is moment to moment. Mm-hmm. Because creativity, I think is like raw, like unbridled, like, you know, making of connections and generation, like coming from your brain. And it needs containment. Right. Like that's the whole, in order to like, because if you just tell me like, go be creative, it's like, uh, 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 uh. (laughs) I I actually would have to make some like arbitrary, maybe even decisions about what I was creating. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the whole point of an improv form. An improv form doesn't matter. But if I have a couple of ideas in my head, that gives my creativity all, you know, all kinds of like directions that it can take. Like, so if I'm 
in a therapy session, like with you and you're coming to me and you're like, I've never really been able to like be really intimate and open with a person. That's all I want. Mm -hmm. Then I have in my head, I'm creative in service to this goal. Like what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to Mm co-create is your ability to do that. If I'm on stage, I have in my head, my purpose here Mm -hmm. is to connect and compel with the other people who are on stage with me, as well as the people in the audience. And I can do whatever that's in service of that. And that gives me, not like that I'm dialing in or dialing out, but you just have to keep checking in with that objective. Right. Is what I'm doing furthering that goal. If it is, a green light. If it's not yellow, or as they say in Australia, I've come to learn orange light. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know that? I've been learning all kinds of Australian culture from watching Bluey. I don't know if you watch it. Oh, I don't know that. Oh, great Australian cartoon show, children's show, but like truly great show. But, you know, like orange light, dial that back in if it's not getting you to where you want to be. Interesting. It sounds like maybe this is the wrong word, but it sounds like you have to really be focused on being in control of your focus. Yeah. How did you get better at that? Was it meditation? You know, was it going through the practice? Yeah, I, you know, that's such a good question because I think I'm so much clearer and better at that now than like, yeah, 12 years ago, I started doing Megawatt. Now I'm back to doing Megawatt. And I've been on, you know, I've been on teams and I've been, I've just gotten reps in, in terms of like trying to get on the same page with other people, trying to get a little clearer within myself about goals and like, you know, it's funny, like I gave that example. What is my objective when I'm on stage to connect with these people and make something meaningful with the people who are on stage and to connect with these people who are in the audience to give them something? That's it. Mm-hmm. It's actually really simple. But mm-hmm. if I look back on it, like there are all kinds of other things that come up as like competing things too. Like, oh, I want right. to look good. R- I want to oh, be yeah, accepted. Sure. Right. And I think just through like maturing and getting reps in, I'm a little bit more hip to that yeah. and like can be more real with that. Yeah. You got to be, yeah, to really be great in comedy, whether it's improv or stand up or acting, you have to really be okay with looking bad, like, like oh, looking yes. unattractive yeah. or looking yes. silly or looking dumb yeah. because yeah, that's necessary for certain jokes or certain characters. And if you're too caught up in, oh, but I want to, I want to look handsome. I want to look good. I want to look, you know, pretty, sexy, whatever. Then you are shutting down so many things. You're putting up so many emotional blocks, so many creative blocks. And you're just not going to go for certain things that would actually be better suited for the scene. (laughs) Uh, You you, you know, you won't be servicing the scene. Part of the reason I asked about being able to turn off the, the, joke brain is how comedians kind of especially improvisers are notorious for being bit machines who can't yeah. turn it off. like uh, i've yeah. been in situations where people had to say hey guys bit time out like we need uh, to yeah, yeah, time yeah. out so we can focus on the thing that we need to focus on and you know it's great when it's during an improv scene or during a writing session or something like that mm-hmm. to be like on 
But yeah. I, I was curious if that was something you struggled with at any point. Yeah. But it, you know, it, it sounds like you got a good yeah. handle on that. Here's like that, that bit impulse that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's like creativity spilling out of you. Right. And it's like somebody says something and that makes you think of something else. And then it makes you think about this. And what if we took it in this direction? And what if we that? That, you know, bit machine, we get out, we get into these bit wars. Like, because people are trying to make each other laugh and they're trying to have fun. Right. I think that same impulse, like, if I'm in a therapy session or I also do like group therapy and somebody comes and they're like, banging my head against the wall i don't know like if i want to be in this job i feel i feel miserable about it i feel like in the you know like terrible and i've been stuck in this for like years mm-hmm. that same like what if you did this and like what about over and hey i'm thinking about it this way mm. that's also kind of there's a parallel there to that yeah. like when minds get in a room and they're like I don't know, like, what's a dumb bit? But they're like, you know, they're like, ah, oh, stub my toe. That's what she said. And like, that's not all she stubbed. I don't know, like, whatever. Uh-huh. If people get together and somebody's like, oh, I'm so fucking miserable in this job. And they are and they start to riff on it. Mm-hmm. That expands, like, the field and it, like, enriches right. the way somebody thinks about something, you know? So you don't so need to turn off that mechanism. Right, exactly. You don't need to turn that mechanism off. It's really mm-hmm. the focus is what are you trying to do right now? You know, and it's, yeah. and it's read the room as well. Like, I, I mean, I've had mm-hmm. times where I was saying something serious and I was clearly down about yeah. it. And it was not an opportunity for like, I clearly wasn't going to be in the mood for joking around, especially about the subject. And someone like made a joke. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and they were like, started explaining comedy and what what, you, what people do with comedy and stuff. And it's like, yeah, I get the joke. I'm upset right, right now for what's going on with my mom. You know, like, yeah, yeah, my mom's yeah. got a tough situation right now and you're making jokes and making light of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's not so much the mechanism that needs to be shut off. It's the impulse to joke when someone's not in the mood for it or yeah just kind of reading the room and adjusting to it essentially yeah yeah being really creative as well as having like a flexible adaptive inner psychology Mm -hmm. means moving like constantly adapting and being flexible Mm -hmm. like in that situation people could be overly focused on themselves they could also be overly focused on other people. Mm-hmm. People could be overly focused on like what's going on internally. People could be overly focused on what's going on externally. And people could be overly focused on like cognitive, like in my head, thinking through something versus like emotions, for example. It just means like, can we move from one situation to the next flexibly to like serve what's going on? So like if your friend says, you know, my mom's really sick. And they remain focused on themselves or they remain focused on like something over here. That's not that puts them like off on another page. But if that person can kind of like, oh, something else just happened. I've got to pay. Mm -hmm. I've got to shift my focus over here now. Right. 
that makes for like a much more adaptive experience of the world. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's sort of like servicing the scene or honoring the moment. Mm -hmm. you totally. Know, you think about what the moment actually is and calls for. Yeah. And how can you be a part of what the moment calls for? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So you also teach workshops that utilize therapy and improv skills. Can you talk about that? So those are workshops for other therapists and in, in, yeah. in that field. And you're bringing to them improv skills. Talk about that and exactly sure. what you do, because I'm sure I just butchered what it is exactly. Ah, no, no, no. <laughs> so that's something, yeah, I've offered workshops to therapists that kind of play around with like really simple improv activities and like what what's the word I'm looking for improv uh drills do we want to use the word drills I think that's the word I want to use yeah I'm fine with that <laughs> um but yeah these improv workshops I think are fun being a therapist can be like a really isolating career because if you think about it you're alone in a room with like people who come in and leave and like you don't they have no they don't know about your life necessarily like in particular detail like it's not your space right hmm. most of us like work alone unless you work in like a clinic or like a group practice so i think like for one thing it's kind of like a fun social like thing that people get to like come together and like have fun and for another I think it's just like stretching therapists' brains to being more present, like in another context. Right. You know, because I think mm. if I didn't do improv and I were only a therapist, I would become very habituated, I think, to being like attentive and present to people in like a very intense way, mm -hmm. like that, like intense emotionally and like serious. And I think like adding this dimension of like frivolousness helps maybe therapists to be a little bit more flexible and like maybe irreverent and like surprising in a way that can be in service of of clients as well. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome that you offer those workshops. And what's the fruit that you've seen of that? Yeah, people have fun, which I think is like can't be understated. A lot of improv improvisers are very interested in like psychology and therapy. And I think a lot of therapists are also kind of curious about like what to put, what to say. Like sometimes being a therapist, I feel like the rest of the world's like a little bit alien because I don't work in an office where there's like a culture that I'm like a part of I just work in a room by myself and I think like sometimes getting us together is like and putting us like in a new context can be kind of just like expansive of our worldviews in a way that we probably really need as therapists mm -hmm. the more I like do these workshops the more I also come up with like other connections and like ideas for further workshops. And I'm kind of working around with this idea of offering actually a, a workshop for, for improvisers that would teach like some more therapy skills to improvisers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Along it's from its particular kind of therapy that I've been like training in called mentalization based treatment. Okay. And mentalization is like 
it's hard to explain, but it's like this imagined, how do other people see me? Okay. How, what do I look like from the outside? And what do other people look like from the inside? It's like a narrow slice of consciousness that in this form of therapy, we play a, like a lot of attention to. And I think that that could actually be quite helpful to improvisers to cultivate that. So yeah, I think part of what I've seen as I've like taught these skills to therapists is like, I've started to see, oh, like, I think improvisers could also like benefit from learning about this other side of the aisle as well. And I could like turn the yeah. tables and have it be cool. Yeah, that's really interesting because one thing that an improviser can easily get caught up within a show is they can do something, not recognize how that will be perceived. And, but it's how everyone, the audience and the other improvisers perceived it. So they go with that perception and it'll throw the improviser off because they'll mm. think, wait, I wasn't meaning that. It was like, yeah, because you weren't aware of how you were standing. You weren't mm -hmm. aware of the tone of voice that you used. Mm -hmm. You weren't aware mm -hmm. of the look on your face. And you can't be 100% conscious of that. But if you can mm -hmm. be aware that those are also things, you will also ultimately become a better actor because you'll start making choices. Yeah. So use your body and your face and your tone of voice to help yeah. the scene along. Yeah. If you, you want to initiate a scene and uh, you want to come across like this health guru or something like that, there's a certain vibe that you can present. Mm -hmm. But if you come out and you just look like someone's boss, you, you just mm -hmm. come out mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm just high status, like basic high status. Then someone might yeah. just come in and say like, oh, what's up, boss? And you go like, no, this isn't the scene I wanted to do. Um, yeah. So yeah. It, it is all it's all connected. And being more aware of that on a conscious level is can only help. Totally. Like what what essentially happens and like what you were just describing, which I thought was such a good example, is social learning. Mm -hmm. You know, we we learn about ourselves. There's only so much you can do like in a vacuum. But right. if you walk out on stage and you think you have the sense that I'm just standing there normal and people start laughing. If you're not like if you're, I would say, like mentalizing well, you would begin to say, what is making these people laugh? Like, you know, and there would be like an internal process where you'd come to understand something more about yourself that you didn't know before. Right. When I do this, the world at large perceives it in this way. You know something more about yourself and then it becomes conscious and you can kind of play with it more deliberately, just as you said, like things that get in the way of that would be like, but that's not what I intended. Like if you right. really wanted, if you didn't intend for people to be laughing and you remained hung up on that, you yeah. would like disregard or dismiss feedback and right. walk away from an opportunity to learn about yourself and your physicality and who you are and how you come across. Like, yeah. so it's these and therapy it's skills. more common than people realize. I mean, even oh, I remember yeah. Jennifer Aniston talking about when she was in school and doing plays and she was wanting to be dramatic in a scene or is this just like kind of mm. a normal scene and she was trying to play it straight or she wasn't trying to go for a laugh she didn't even think she was being funny and people would always be laughing at stuff she was doing and choices she was making and she was like i thought i was doing something yeah. serious and everyone's yeah. always laughing that's a super famous person who mm -hmm. benefited from observing how people were actually taking yeah. her in and that's like 
that's like an example. That's positive mentalizing. Mm -hmm. Not the best mentalizing would be what is wrong with these people that they're not getting it? <laughs> like, you yeah. know, this audience just doesn't know good improv or like this audience is just like, they're not very sophisticated. Like you would kind of like attribute some blame to them for not getting it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like openness to like the value of other people's input is like pretty key. Yeah. Now, you were on a couple of big teams. You were a founding member of Brick. You were also on Ariana Grande. Yeah. I was on Body Work, too. You were on Body Work as well? I that was, was before I was my time, I was a founding member. Oh, goodness. I was a founding. I was on Body Work, I think, in 2016 and 17. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I moved in March of 2017, and I okay. started seeing Body Work around then, but... It was, it, I think it was right after a transition and people had, uh, like it was oh. like a, a, a new season transition. Yeah, yeah. That so, might have been, you wow. might have just missed me. <laughs> I just missed you. Body Work, as I've said on the podcast before, is my favorite improv team of all time. And I don't mean Wait, magnet improv team. I just mean improv team in general. I love Body Oh, wow. They just ended wow. their run, which is, wow, what a what a long run they had. Mm-hmm. With like a six or so year run. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing a lot about Ariana Grande and seeing the photo on the wall. And I heard a lot about Brick as well. So some really great teams, amazing teams that you were on. I guess 2017 is when you maybe stepped away from doing improv full time mm -hmm. for a little bit or, or maybe yeah. full time, but like a lot. And now yeah. you're back. What? Has it been like to step away from something you were doing so much and had been doing for so mm -hmm. long to not doing it so much anymore? Yeah, it's been really refreshing. It's felt like connecting back to a part of myself. I did do an improv team, an online improv team during the pandemic, oh, which was cool. a, yeah, it was a pretty cool team. It was like an international team through a theater in Canada. And I was like, one of two Americans. There were three Canadians. We had a guy in the UK, a guy in Israel, and a woman in the Philippines. Wow. And, so uh, time, yeah. I don't know how you guys made that work. Yeah. With the timeline, like just the, the different time period, time zones. Yeah. I don't know how you made it work with the time zones. Somehow Sundays at 12 worked. <laughs> and like that's when we met. <laughs> and we did, we would do shows at kind of insane times. Interesting. To accommodate like these people's people being yeah. able to watch, you know? Yeah, that was that was like very expanding because I learned about like, okay, what is North American improv? Like what is American <laughs> yeah. improv? Like in what ways does the culture of the improv that I learned like very much at odds with like how improv is done in the Philippines or even the UK or like Israel or even in Canada, you know? Canadian wow. improv is like pretty different, I feel. Um, wow. And coming back to the magnet feels like, ah, just like it feels very meaningful to be back there. I feel like that place is like a home. Like there's definitely yeah. like a felt sense like of walking through that door of having spent so many hours there with so many people that mean so much to me. And it's also like, I'm 38 now. I'm a mother. I've like run this like therapy business. Yeah. Like life just comes at you. 
I'm I hope more self-aware. I kind of hope to answer the question, what kind of an improviser and teammate will I be? I find myself curious about that. Interesting. This is like when I was like 26 and didn't have these experiences. Like, how will that make me different? And I want to find that out for myself. And I find myself very motivated by that. And I also think I, I came back to Megawatt this time around with a clear mandate you know, the reason that I'm here is for community mm. and to be part of a community and to like reap the benefits of being part of a supportive community. So yeah. I kind of like, I didn't like when I was 26, it probably was really different. I don't think that was like as conscious or like something I would declare out loud, but it's been very clarifying because every decision point comes back to that. Is this in service of like being a good community yeah. member? Yeah. Is this in service of like creating good art and like supporting other people and doing so? Then I do it. <laughs> that's oh, what that's I'm here so cool. this time. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Well, that's really awesome. Well, I could talk to you forever about improv. I hope we get to talk more and again yeah, about improv anytime. and therapy. But it is the end of the podcast. It's time to create something together. One thing I was interested in is... Because you were talking about not shutting off certain mechanisms, but kind of reading mm -hmm. the room. Is there a plan you can give people? Not a plan, maybe, but a, a sort of focus. Because you were mentioning that you have a directive in your mind, sort of like a like here's here's a purpose. Here's here's what I'm gonna yeah. be focused on trying to do. Can we demonstrate or, or show people how that? plays out so that they can do the same thing because it really yeah. sounds like something that'd be super crucial in many different situations so that they don't get off track. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like how to get clear on like your directive in a situation yeah. or like how yeah. to get clear on like what you want to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. And like maybe uh. knowing the difference of what you should focus on and what you shouldn't focus on. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I guess maybe we should start with the scenario. Like, okay, if it's yeah, if it's improv, but the coach is trying to explain something, that's probably a time to listen and not joke around. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, if you're talking to your friend and they're telling you your friend that you always cut up with, but they're telling you something serious, it's also a time to not yeah. joke around, but you still want to be there for them and be attentive. Maybe you're at work and yeah, the meeting. And mm -hmm. uh, you know everyone's throwing out ideas, but you don't want to get too jokey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but maybe you can joke a little bit, but not too much. So mm -hmm. what are some things people can do to mentally prepare themselves to handle those situations well? Okay, I think I have. I hope this is like fulfilling the mandate of creating something. It, but I have a will. good, I, think, I promise you I it think will. I have an answer. Okay. Oh, so I love being told like, Amy, you can't fail. <laughs> like, <laughs> what freedom to go out on a limb. But the second you start, I think, let's say you're in a boardroom and you're like, what is going on? Like, you know, like something starts to feel off or you feel like you're on another page or hey, I'm joking around and people seem to not be liking it. Like, I, I, I'm assuming that people are like not on the same page. The second you start to ask yourself and even just the act of engaging the question, what is going on for this other person right now? Mm. And genuinely trying to ponder it. Mm -hmm. 
the act of asking that question of yourself in a genuine way is enough. Oh, wow. Okay. You don't have to come up with good because intention is so important. If you're on that improv stage with a scene partner, you don't know what the fuck they're putting down. Mm -hmm. The audience will know and that person will know if you are making a good faith effort to try to understand. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you get it right. What matters is if you try to. Right. Because that still will read as real. Right. Exactly. Yes. They'll still read as two people trying to do something together as opposed to, oh, that improviser has no idea what this other improviser just said. Those two situations look different because in the the scenario you're talking about, the person is trying to do something with that other person. there, There might be a disconnect, but at least they're on the same page of trying to do something together. So yeah. it plays a lot better. Yeah. And if you're in a boardroom and you're you're doing bits, but like people are trying to do the quarterly numbers. I don't know. I don't know what an <laughs> office is. I've never worked for a company. This is like what I imagine it to be. But and you're like, wait, something feels off right now. Mm-hmm. If that person in that boardroom like persists or shuts down. Like, think about socially what that means for, like, all the other people. But if that person says something like, oh, did I say something wrong? <laughs> or like, they take a stab at what could be going on. Yeah. Instantly, everyone will relax because they're like, they get it. They want to be on the same page that we're on. I can mm-hmm. do that. That's okay. That's my advice. There it is. <laughs> thanks so much. That is yeah. that was really great advice. And thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been really great talking to you. This is so fun. Thank you for the interview. Thanks for listening. Check out her website, amyroe.com. That's A-M-I-E and R-O-E. See her perform with her improv team, Aura, at the Magnet Theater every Wednesday night. You can also check out my team, Glitter. Tickets are cheap. Go to magnettheater.com for show info. Follow her on Twitter at Amy Rowe was taken and on Instagram at Amy Oh My. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. And follow me on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes and on Instagram at Jason Farr Picks. Also subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter. And also you can support us if you can. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 